the beginning of last year, we looked at Romans 12 from the perspective of uh, worship. But this morning, we're going to look at it from the perspective of discipleship. Really challenging words. Two verses, and you could spend a long, long time looking at them. Um, there's a lot in them, and this morning we're going to think, con- continue to think, as we have been over the last number of weeks, about discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, about how when we say the cross is before me and the world is behind me, actually, what does that mean? What does that look like? Two weeks ago, we looked, um, I think it was at Luke 5, for the, when Jesus called his first disciples, when he called um, Simon Peter after his confession of Jesus being Lord, and, and how Jesus showed, provided this miraculous catch for them and then said, you know, leave your nets, leave everything and, and follow me, and, and that they did. And then uh, last week, I can't even remember what we're looking at last week, the, the picking up your cross daily and following me and actually how, how it's sacrificial and costly. And we're going to continue that this morning from the, the, the point of view about being a living sacrifice for Jesus. And our, one of the first words we we're going to look at this morning in, in verse 1 is the word, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This, I've said a number of times whenever we've been looking at Scripture, that when we see the word therefore, it's an important word because it's a linking word. What is about to be said has been informed by what has just been said. And in some ways, that is about the mystery of, of Israel's salvation. But I think in a really simplistic way, I, I would say that actually the therefore here doesn't just link verse, uh, chapter 11 and 12, but actually I would say is kind of like the hinge pin for the letter in Romans. The, in a really simplistic way, you know me now, I'm quite a simple guy, and uh, I would say that the letter to the church in Rome, to the letter of Romans can be divided into two parts. You've got part one and part two. And part one, again, this has just been really simplistic, is chapter 1 to the end of chapter 11. And, and really what Paul is looking at there is doctrine. He, we, we cover topics about the sinfulness of mankind, about how all have fallen short of God's glory, about the forgiveness of sin is only found through faith alone in Jesus Christ. He talks about freedom from sin's grasps. And then he talks about Israel's past, their present, and their future. There's a lot of kind of doctrine within it. And part A, I would say part one, these first 11 chapters lay the kind of the foundations for Christian belief. That that all people are sinful. That Christ died to forgive sins. That we're made right with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And this begins a new life with a new relationship that we find through the reconciliation that is only found in Jesus. And in some ways, that is what the therefore leads on from. That's what the therefore leads on from. So you have this kind of doctrine, this belief stuff that Paul is really teasing out in the first 11 chapters. And I would say that the therefore here in Chapter 12, verse 1 is the, the hinge pin where it goes from this just being abstract theology to actually things that we implement into our day-to-day lives. 
So part two, I would say, chapters 12 through to the end of Romans is kind of like, this is how Christians should be behaving. This is what Christians should be believing in part one, and this is how Christians should be behaving in part two. Like I said, he shows that the Christian life is not abstract theology unconnected with our day-to-day life. That being a Christian, being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, there are practical implications that are informed by our inward belief. As we thought about last week, faith is an active word. Being a Christian is more than just affirming truth. But we affirm the truth and then we live it out. It takes root in our hearts and then it guides how we walk, how we talk and how we live in this life. And we see that, don't we, in Hebrews chapter 11. In that passage, that great passage about those who had great faith in the Old Testament. That when it talks about them, there's always a practical way that their faith was demonstrated. Yes, they believed, but then it was shown through how they lived their life. Noah built a boat. Abraham, he left his land, his home and family and kin, and, and off he went to this place that God had promised him, but he hadn't seen yet, and so on and so on. And at the beginning of our service, I want to ask you this question. How is your faith seen? How is your faith seen? How is it demonstrated in your day-to-day life? How is your relationship with Jesus visible to those who you spend time with? How is your profession of faith that many of us have taken in this church, how is it seen in our community, in the workplace, in your families? Christianity is an inward belief that must have an outward expression. It is an internal transformation that leads to an outward proclamation and demonstration. Let me say that again. Christianity is an inward belief that must have an outward expression. It is an internal transformation that leads to an outward proclamation and demonstration. How you live as a Christian is your response to what God has done for you on the cross. And we see that, don't we, where Paul goes on and he talks about by the mercies of God. It's included, it's so pivotal and important and central to what he's speaking about here. The mercies of God. And Paul is is marrying together doctrine and duty, belief and behavior. They, They aren't separate, but are really, I would say, different sides of the same coin. Sometimes, though, we only focus on one and we get things a wee bit messed up. And the danger, there's a real danger when we do that. How's that seen in practical terms? Well, there's those that just focus on the behavior part. And the danger with that is that you think you can earn your way into heaven. And rather about it being about faith alone that justifies us, 
We then go down a works-based salvation, which isn't found in Scripture. You need to remember that this is flowing from the mercies of God. The first 11 chapters that Paul spoke about shows how we are saved. It's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But then the other danger side is when we only focus on, well, I'm saved because of Jesus, the danger is that you just, grace becomes cheap. You just do what you want. You think, well, it's okay, I'm going to heaven because Christ died for me. I can do what I want now. You see, they're both really important, but in the right perspective. And it's by the mercies of God that this alone is possible. And that's what Paul says, by the mercies of God, because you have been saved. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because you have been saved, because of what Christ has done for you, since you have been saved and believe the claims of the gospel, you should live as a living sacrifice. In the previous 11 chapters, we see the mercies of God being clearly and carefully detailed by the apostle. And in chapters 9 and 11, one of the key words that we see is mercy. And in chapter 9, verse 16, Paul says that salvation depends not on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And it's so important that we hold on to that this morning as we continue through our sermon because if you don't, like I said, where you end up going is a works-based faith, a works-based relationship, a works-based religion. And salvation doesn't depend on our effort or our desire, as Romans 9 says, but on God's mercy. It's through faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved. You see, if you miss mercy, you have a works-based Religion, and that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot behave your way into heaven. But we do need to live in a way that shows we have been saved. And that's where this therefore, that's where it hinges, that's where it, it leads us. Because of what you believe, because of what you hold and have received to be true. It's not to earn salvation but as a, as a witness of the grace of God at work in our hearts. It is in sight of God's mercy and by God's mercy that we live as Christians, not to earn God's mercy. I can't stress how important that is. We love him as we prayed earlier on, only because he first loved us. So, therefore, because of all of what I've said, by the mercies of God, present your bodies. What does this mean? John Calvin said that by bodies, he means not only our skin and bones, but the totality of which we are composed. It's kind of what we thought about two weeks ago when they left everything. They left everything and they followed after Jesus it's but the totality of which we are composed. 
Paul has already, in uh, earlier on, I think it's in chapter 6 of Romans, he's already used this word present or, or offer. Some translations would, would um, translate that. He's already used this word, but he said in that context, in chapter 6, do not offer or do not present your body to sin. And then he goes on here, but rather present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I wonder, could you answer this question? Who do you offer your life to? Who do you present your body to? It's either one or the other. It's either a chapter 6 where you present it and offer it to sin, or you live as a living sacrifice. Remember what Jesus said, that you can't serve two masters and as we thought at the beginning of, I think, not this year, but the previous year, uh, on our vision day, you know, where Joshua says, I think it's in Joshua chapter 24, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we said together as a congregation that that is our cry, that is our prayer, that is our desire, that we serve the Lord, that this house, that this house of worship, that it would serve the Lord. So Sandy Hills Parish Church, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And Paul goes on in verse 2, which we'll touch on in a wee while. He goes on to show how our minds are also connected and, and important in this, actually. But, but the body and the mind is that belief and behavior thing, I would say. You see, in presenting our bodies, we show lived out evidence of the gospel. You show lived out evidence of the gospel because when you present your bodies, this isn't just like metaphorical. Actually, how you live is important. How you live is meant to show and demonstrate the kingdom of God wherever you go. I remember my, my Bible study teacher saying to me, you know, don't be a thermometer. Be a thermostat. Now, a thermometer, we know it, it goes to the temperature. It shows us what the temperature is in that room. But a thermostat, it sets the temperature. Wherever you go, remember people, remember church and bride of Christ. That you are meant to be a thermostat. You're meant to set the temperature. You're meant to live out the gospel wherever you go. And that's what he goes on to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There would have been a huge um, Jewish audience, so they would have known really well about the sacrificial language and, and all of its sacrifices. And, and Paul here uses a wee bit of Old Testament language. And the sacrifices, for those of us who don't know within the Old Testament, they had to be the best. They had to offer their best. The sacrifice had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. It had to be male because the male was the more costly animal. So it had to be perfect and it had to be costly. And the other thing was that they had to be alive. And the sacrificial system is hugely important. And I think at some point we will end up doing a wee study in, in the Old Testament sacrifice system so that we can truly and betterly understand what Jesus has actually achieved for us at the cross in his sacrifice. But, but, but even in the Old Testament, God makes it clear that he desires obedience from the heart. God wants worship, not rituals. 
You can perform rituals, but your heart isn't in it. You're just going through the motions. You're just doing this thing. I love that song, that praise song that many of our members here love. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. Let us not be about rituals in this place, but let this be a place of worship. And under the old covenant, the the, the call was to take the life of another. There was an animal. And it was prophetic, pointing towards what Jesus would do, how he would be in our place. But in the new covenant, we're called to be a living sacrifice ourselves. Other people can't do that for us. God wants us to offer ourselves, but as living sacrifices, daily laying ourselves for him in obedience. And that is our true worship. And this, as we've said over the last number of weeks, is a, is a hard calling. And we know that narrow is the way that leads to life. And it's important that we remember that this is by the mercies of God, that we don't do this in and of ourselves, in and of our own strength, but it's by his mercy that this is even possible. That he equips us for the call that he places us on. But the call here about being a living sacrifice, this is about the the, the totality of everything that we are. Everything that you are, every fiber of your being, every inch of your life. This means every part of your life has to be given to God. What is it we say when we become a member here? We talk about time, we talk about talents, and we talk about money. In those three areas in your life, are you a living sacrifice? I'd say only you know the answer to that. Have you given every area of those, those areas to the Lord? Do we bring God our best? It had to be the best in sacrifices in the Old Testament. And we see that, don't we? Or we look at Cain and Abel. They both brought a sacrifice, an offering to God, but God was only pleased with Abel's. Why? Because he brought the best. He brought the first fruits, not what was left over. What is it that you bring to God and worship as his follower, as his disciple? Do you bring what is left over, those spare moments, those spare minutes in the day? We spent all hours watching Netflix and scrolling through social media and, you know, reading this and doing that. And you'll just give, you know, five minutes to the Lord if, if, if you've got it. How wrong we get our lives, how wrong we, 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 we put things in perspective. Do we bring God what is our best. And this has often been seen in what people wear. This has often been seen in a suit or a nice big hat. That's my best, my Sunday best. I wonder if you have or had a Sunday best. I had a Sunday best jumper growing up and I accidentally went on fire. I'll tell you how that happened at another point in, in, in life. And I remember my dear old granny one day saying to me, I can't believe that you're going to church in jeans. You should be wearing a suit. And I said to her, God doesn't want to give me a new suit. He wants to give us a new heart. You can be nice and pristine on the outside. 
But actually on the inside, there might not be any life. Because you're doing the behavior stuff without the belief. Lord, would you grant us a new heart, clean hands and pure heart, we pray. Do you bring the first fruits, the best that you have to the Lord? Because that's a calling that he places on his followers. Yes, we mess up. Yes, we get things wrong. And that's why it's by his mercies. But that's where we should be striving for. Living sacrifices as his followers in this world. And he goes on and he talks about being holy and acceptable. And again, this is kind of Old Testament sacrificial language. And verse 2 expands on this a wee bit. Again, like we'll, we'll get to that in a few moments. Verse 2 does expand on this. What it talks about, you know, not being conformed to this world. We're meant to be holy and acceptable to the Lord. Devoted, consecrated, set apart. We see that even in the Old Testament. And how this would be often be demonstrated was in, it wasn't what they, they wore. What they wore. You know, they, they weren't allowed to you know, shave the sides of their beards and things like that. Because it would make them look like those who were around them who weren't God's people. God wants his people to be different to be set apart. And friends, our worship reflects our understanding of who God is. Our behavior mirrors our true belief. If God is at work in our lives, it should be seen in the fruit that we bear by abiding in Christ. As John 15 so remindedly says, and this links to being a living sacrifice. This holy and acceptable. Like I said, this is kind of Old Testament sacrificial language. And we are to be holy as God's people. Why? Because he is holy. We see that within Leviticus, the, the call to be holy. For I am holy. We see it in, in First Peter as well. This isn't just an Old Testament type of thing. This is what God desires from his people. And his standards don't change because he doesn't change. We are to be like him. We are to be like him. And it's one thing to say that, you know, everything we do is for the Lord. We, we yes, I'll be a living sacrifice and, you know, I'll do everything for the Lord. And I pray that that is the case. But friends, often everything that we do is not pleasing to God. I wonder what areas of your life that Lord is by his spirit convicting you of this morning. And like we said, his conviction always comes when his grace and his mercy. Because he's changing you and he wants to transform you and make you more like him. Sin is not pleasing to God. This is one of the things I find most bizarre, how we think that we can, you know, take worldly practices and say that God is going to bless them. 
He can't bless that which isn't acceptable to him. God has a standard and he wants his people to live by that standard. And it's that thing of seeking first his kingdom. Matthew 7. Again, we sing that song. So many of us grew up singing that song in Sunday school. And as boys and girls, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But it's such a costly thing to do that. It's such a costly thing to seek first his kingdom. And then what does he say? Which is your spiritual worship. It is your spiritual worship. Again, I'll ask you a question. Are you a living sacrifice? Or are you just doing religion? And again, only you will know the answer to that question. Are you a living sacrifice? So wonderful to be part of a church that that loves to worship the Lord who holds his word so dear and close to our hearts and I said this over the last number of weeks it's one of the most attractive things but when I was looking for a church it was one of the most attractive things about Sandy Hills was was how much you stood on God's word how much you honored God's word how much you loved to be in God's word how how highly you held it in your life and in the practice of your church. And actually though, friends, I want us to grow more in love with God's word. I want us to stand more upon God's word. I want it to shape us more and more, more now than it did 10 years ago. That actually as we continue to say, yes, God, I'm here. I want to be used by you. I want to reach lost souls for you. I want to honor you with my life. That actually we live out the scriptures. That we stand upon it. Knowing that it is a sure and certain foundation for us to stand upon. You know, I'm talking about worship. The worshippers that the Lord longs for are those who worship in spirit and in truth. And again, this is pointing to that heart stuff and not rituals. I once heard, and you've probably heard this comment before, and I I absolutely love it. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. I absolutely love that statement. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Remember, this is by the mercies of God that this is possible. That Paul has already been speaking about the belief stuff. The stuff, that inward transformation that takes place when we put our hope and trust in Jesus. When we become a new creation. When we become his children. Adopted into his family through the shedding of Christ's blood. Through his death and resurrection and his ascension. It then leads to fruit needing to be bared. What this verse is saying in verse 1 of chapter 12, it is speaking about true and authentic worship. The worship that God wants and desires and the worship that God deserves is wholehearted devotion that is costly, that is the best. And actually, over the last number of weeks, there's been some blogs and articles being written 
about the dangers of just doing church online, about how it's, how it's creating some sort of consumeristic culture. Maybe over the last number of weeks, actually, you have been slipping into that. You've been getting a bit complacent, a wee bit tired of doing church online. I want you to remember, though, who it is that we worship. And actually, it's not about us, but it's all about him. Jesus, all for Jesus. Jesus, all for Jesus. The worship that God longs for, desires, and the worship that he deserves is the best. So maybe this morning, maybe this morning actually we need our hearts to be checked a wee bit. That in this last year, we've got a bit complacent. Because there's not eyes watching us, physical eyes watching us when we come. Maybe even slipping into bad habits. Well, let me say that as Paul started verse 1, it's by the mercies of God and his mercy is here ready and available for you this morning if that is the case. But come back to the heart of worship. Live as a living sacrifice. Make sure what we're offering God is the best and it is holy and it is acceptable. Because that's what he deserves. And that's what we believe as his disciples. And the emphasis here on this verse lies on the word. Therefore, all this is flowing from the great mercies of God. His love, his kindness, his grace, his patience, his gift of salvation. God's sovereign mercy calls for complete dedication and wholehearted commitment. It's that age-old tension of the sovereignty of God, but also the responsibility that we have in responding in faith. And Paul's exhortation of the life of the believer, it begins by calling them to be living sacrifices as disciples. And then in verse 2, we read this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul, he furthers his thoughts by saying, don't conform. He's talked about being a living sacrifice, about the importance of being holy and everything we do being acceptable to God. But now he furthers that by saying, do not be conformed to this world. Wow. May we remember that. Do not be conformed to this world. We can't live a life that is pleasing to God and live a life that is grounded and guided by this world. It doesn't work. Seek first his kingdom. You can only serve one master. Present your bodies to either as a living sacrifice and as Paul's saying, don't offer them to the ways of sin. There are so many different teachings that we could pick on here uh, from Jesus about, about the call to be you know, set apart and not conforming to the patterns of this world. We could think about being salt and light and the importance of, of that or, or being the light of the world because he is the light of the world. About, like we thought about last week, about picking up our cross daily and following after him two weeks ago about, about leaving everything and following after him. 
part of our spiritual worship is being God's consecrated people set apart for his pleasure. Man's chief end, our purpose, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But sadly, friends, what we're seeing more and more in many churches is that they're being conformed to the patterns of this world. They're being guided by the thought of the day. They're being blown about with every wind of doctrine. They're conforming. They're losing their saltiness. They're losing their light. We cannot conform to the patterns of this world. We need to be set apart for Jesus and shine bright for Jesus. We cannot and shouldn't model ourselves on this world, which the scriptures tell us is sinful. As the church, we are to stand out. We're to be different, to be set apart, to live for the glory of God. Now look with me at this phrase, be transformed. Now again, I went a bit geeky-greaky last week and I ask that you give me some grace this morning as I go a bit geeky-greaky on you again. But it's important because it helps us see something. This be transformed, the phrase be transformed is in the passive imperative. And this means that the transformation is affected by God, but the believer has to cooperate in order for the change to take place. Again, I said a few moments ago, it's that tension of God being sovereign, but the responsibility of us responding in faith. And the word here used for transformed is only used four times in the New Testament. Twice at Jesus' transfiguration, once here in chapter 12 of Romans, and then once in 2 Corinthians where it talks about becoming like Christ. We are meant to become like the one who has saved us. It has always been God's plan, even in creation, as he said these words, let us make man in our image. We cannot be transformed without offering our lives as a living sacrifice. As your thinking changes, this is the kind of the mind stuff. As I said, he spoke about the body, the totality of what we are, and he speaks about the mind here. And as our thinking changes, so too will our actions. You know, it is such a powerful thing to give God our yes. It is a life-changing thing to say, God, here I am. It changes everything about you. Does your life tell the story of redemption? Are the fruit of the Spirit blossoming from you as you abide in Jesus Christ? Are you more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, more self-controlling than you were today, than you were yesterday? We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, we read here. Mind here conveys a couple of different kind of meanings, attitude, thought, intellect. And what I believe Paul means here is that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to allow the gospel to change our way of thinking. It transforms us. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says about letting the word of Christ dwell within us. You know how in life when you begin to spend time with people that often you begin to pick up some of their mannerisms. For example, some of our session here now say perfect more now than I heard when, they start, when I started. Why? Because I say perfect all the time they say. In all of our meetings I say perfect, perfect, perfect. And it's become part of the vocabulary of the elders here in Sandy Hills. 
Or another example is that, that Becca always says my accent, my Lewis accent gets so much more stronger when I come off the phone to an, another islander or I've spent time in Lewis. Maybe you can testify to that when I come back from holiday. Why? Because I begin to spend more time with them. I begin to become more like them. Let it be Christ that we spend time with, that we become like. A renewed mind is less concerned with the things of this world and more focused on the things of importance, his kingdom coming. A renewed mind prays with all sincerity, let me decrease and Jesus would you increase. So that as we face decisions in this life, as he goes on to say that we will be able to discern what the will of God. As you spend time in his word, in his presence, as your behavior shows your belief and your belief informs your behavior, would you become more like Jesus so that you can live out the gospel in your everyday life as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus? As you sit under the word of God, would you meditate on it daily? Would it be your manna from heaven every day? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As you grow in your love for his word, be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Live as a sacrifice for him, always remembering what he has done for us. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. We sing it. And we're about to sing it. Let, it, let us live it out more today than we did yesterday. Amen.